0: Good evening. Good evening. So, glad, so good to see so many of you here tonight. We're so glad you are here. I'm Pastor Chris. For those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, and I have never preached in a hoodie before, <laughs> but we're, we're here this weekend. I've been part of the New Life Students group, uh, leaders group that's been uh, having a retreat from last night, and it doesn't end until after worship tonight, and so you can see all the ones that have those New Life student ones, they're just part of the many people, uh, if you have teenagers uh, here at New Life that are in the Youth ministry on Tuesday nights. They're part of the leadership, not all of the leadership by any stretch of the imagination, but it's such a wonderful thing to be part of that. I'm not typically part of the New Life students, but uh, just for the past five weeks or so, I've been leading a group of 12th grade boys uh, with Bill Gebhardt, and it's, been a, it's really been one of the biggest joys of the last part of the year for me to be back in youth ministry. I started out as a youth pastor a long, long time ago. <laughs> Before most of the people that are youth leaders now were born. And that's actually the truth. So tonight we're going to continue our series on experiencing prayer. And January here at New Life means a focus on prayer and fasting. So if you've been doing part of the, you know, the 21 days of prayer, we started that this past Monday, and that means for the past week now, many of you have been taking a lot more time focusing your attention to God and and communicating with Him, which is all that prayer is, and some of you have also been fasting. If you've been fasting the past five days then, uh, you know, I hope God's been with you, because if not, you're probably in a bad mood by now. Uh, and uh, and if, if, he, if He has been with you, then good. But sometimes, you know, fasting, which is going without food and or water for a period of time to focus on God, uh, it, it's, it's a good thing, but it, it's a little challenging at times. So anyway, tonight, tonight's message is called, Not a Substitute for Action. Not a Substitute for Action. And of course, that refers to prayer. Because prayer is not a substitute for action. In fact, if you've been around New Life for very long, you've heard tonight's take-home point. And for those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point I'm going to make in my message. It comes from the scripture, and we want you to take it home. That's why it's called that, the take-home point, and pray about it and live it out in the week ahead. And if you want to follow along in the outline, uh, the very first thing in the outline is the take-home point tonight, which is prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there is no substitute. So, that is not a biblical statement. It comes from a guy named uh, Donald Bailey, who was a theologian in the early 1900s. And I actually read his book, A Diary of Private Prayer, and that statement is in there. And I read it back in the 1980s when I was in seminary, and it was so uh, impactful to me that I've remembered it to this very day. And the reason I found it so powerful is because of this. All too often, prayer is a last resort rather than a first step prayer is all too often a last resort rather than a first step you know we've all heard the saying don't just stand there do something right what does that mean it means don't tread water when there's something to do don't don't sit back do something and the thing is prayer is something a lot of times we think because we're maybe standing still or we're on our knees or we're even lying down that prayer is not an action but it is an action It's an action, as we just said, for which there's no substitute. Now, what is your default mode when you know that you have a problem, you have something you have to do something about? So what do you do? Do you try something and then you try something else and something else and something else until it works? I have to be honest with you, that's the way I've always been. You know, my theory is always shoot, ready, aim, right? Uh, You know, do something, shoot, ready, aim. Doesn't really hit the target a lot, but eventually, you know, you get zeroed in. Some of you, I know some of you are the opposite of that, and you have a problem, you sit down and you think about it for a while, and then you think about it for a while, and then you think about it for a while, and it's ready, aim, 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 (laughs) you know what I mean? But the thing is, there are people who don't do anything, like when there's a problem, they just go, oh, somebody else will figure it out. But most of us either take one of the other two extremes. We either go, boom, I'm going to do something, or else we just think about it, think about it, think about it. And the reality is this even for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, prayer is not always the first thing we turn to. Praying something through is different than thinking it through, and it's certainly different than just doing something. But praying something through is the most important action that we can take. Praying it through is the most important action. That we can take. After all, if Jesus is our Lord, which means Master, we would want to turn to Him first for direction and guidance when we have a situation that calls for some knowledge. Back in the fall, when we were working our way through the seven steps of experiencing God, the first, the fourth one—I'm sorry—we learned was this: that God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit through His Word, through prayer, through circumstances, and other believers. So, if Jesus is Lord in our lives, then when we uh, When we get up in the morning, actually, we want to know what he wants us to do. And the best way, the easiest way to know what he wants us to do is to read his word. Because the word of God, the Bible, is his word. And so we read it and he speaks to us. In fact, there has been study after study after study done here in America. You know how we're good about doing studies inside the church, outside the church. We just like to study stuff. Guess what is the most reliable way for a person to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ? To read and study the Bible. God's word. And the thing is, even after I've read the Bible sometimes, maybe after you've read the Bible sometimes, you still don't know exactly what to do in a specific situation, and that's where prayer comes in. That's where we turn to God, and we ask Him, what is it that you want me to do? Or don't you want me to do anything? Or or do you want me to go in a different direction right now than I've been thinking about? So when God speaking to us is vital, we start with His Word, His written Word, and then we go to Him. In prayer, we have to plan our lives, we have to prepare, we have to think. But King Solomon, the wisest man uh, who ever lived before Jesus, according to scripture, wrote these words about all of our plans. He said, This we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. You see, God wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to show us how to go. But here's the thing about God. He'll stand back and he'll let us make our plans. He'll let us think it through, pray it through, do whatever we want to do. Or he'll let us just go off on our own. But he's always waiting for us to engage him so that he can tell us what is the right thing to do. So think about the last time you made an important decision. Maybe it was a financial decision. Maybe it was a marital decision. Maybe it was a decision with your children. Maybe you maybe thought about, I should probably start going to church. Or maybe you thought, I need to go to a different church. Whatever decision it was, what part did God play in it? Or maybe you're making one of those decisions right now. What part does God play in that kind of a role? What we're going to do right now is we're going to turn to the Apostle Paul's instruction to the church at Philippi when it comes to prayer and how we can live our lives in a way that we'll know what God wants us to do and then that we can live it out in our everyday lives. But before we turn to Philippians, let's pray. I think when we're talking about prayer, it should be a good thing to start with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and love. And I thank you, you're listening. And you were listening before we started talking and you actually knew what I was gonna pray before I started praying. And yet you call us to pray. And so tonight, as we turn to your word, God, we ask you would open it up to us, open up your truth so that we can experience it, so that we can live it in the power of your Holy Spirit, and so we can share it in love with our families, with the people we go to school with, with the people we work with, with people everywhere. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul planted or started many churches. And we have a few letters that he wrote to some of those churches that were talking about how they could, you know, do a better job or do a good job of what they were doing. And we know from the letters that there were a couple of churches that just didn't get it, and a, the church in Corinth was one of those churches. Paul wrote two letters that we have. Biblical scholars think there are actually three letters, but they had a hard time. On the other hand, there were those churches that just seemed to, you know, naturally get it. Or supernaturally get it, I should say, because the Spirit of God was in them. And for Paul, it seems like his favorite church was the church in Philippi. We see that as we read these things. In fact, when Paul opened up his letter to the church in Philippi, he said, I thank God every time I think of you. And I get that. Because I thank God every time I think of you. I really do. Back over the Christmas holidays, I was talking to a, a man. He's a deeply devoted follower of Jesus. He doesn't go to New Life, but he knows me. He's known me for, ever since I moved to this area third, about 30 years ago. And he said to me, it must be really hard doing what you do. It has to wear you down. Have you ever, have you taken a sabbatical in the last five years? And I looked at him and I went, last five years? I never took a sabbatical, you know. And, and I said, you know, I maybe could have used a sabbatical 10 years ago. Things were a little challenging here at New Life then, but for the last 10 years, leading this church has been the greatest blessing of, of my life, really. Next to knowing Jesus and having my family, it is the greatest blessing of my life. And so when Paul said, I thank God every time I think of you, my, my heart and my mind says, yeah, I get that. And so Paul had the opportunity to lead a church only maybe three years as the outside. Usually it was only like 18 months to three years. So he had to leave quickly, and often he wrote letters after he had been in a church to instruct them. And he did that here uh, in the church in Philippi. Now, the thing I, I want to underline is he loved this church. You know how it is when you love somebody, you give instructions a little different than whenever you're, you know, challenging them, correcting them. And so this is a love letter, really, from Paul to his, his church that he started in Philippi, and he's talking to them about prayer. So let's look at what it says. If you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 4. Paul writes this, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand." His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So in this short passage, Paul offers us four different actions for more faithful living. The first one is to rejoice. The second one is be considerate. The third one is don't worry. And the fourth one is pray about everything. Now we're talking about prayer tonight. But I want to look briefly at those first three things that Paul said we need to do if we want to live more faithfully in Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul mentioned is rejoice. The New Testament, the New Living Translation of the New Testament says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now I learned that a little differently back in Sunday school in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. When I was six or seven, I learned this as a memory verse, but I learned it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. And actually, we had a little song, and if I was Pastor Alex or Pastor Brad, I'd sing it to you, but I'm not, so I'm not. Okay, so the New Living Translation tells us what rejoice means. It means to be full of joy. And joy, if you want to look in your notes, is a deep abiding sense that all is well, even if nothing on the surface seems well. So Paul commanded the Philippian believers to rejoice all the time. No matter what, rejoice always. And, and how do you do that? How, what, does, what does Paul mean, rejoice all the time? What's he talking about? Well, Paul had a little bit of an understanding of what it meant to have a hard life. Paul had been beaten. He had been stoned nearly to death by people in one city. In fact, they piled stones on top of him, and they went back to town, and they thought he was dead. They uncovered him, and he gets back up and goes back in town and starts preaching again. He was hungry. He was, he was wet. He was tired. He was shipwrecked. So when Paul says rejoice always, he knows what he means about always. Because sometimes our circumstances, we we think, well, in my circumstance, I can't rejoice. Well, if Paul could rejoice in all of those circumstances, certainly we can rejoice in all circumstances. In fact, in the beginning of this letter, Paul says, I'm in prison. And I don't even know if I'm going to live or die. But he said something really, really powerful. He said, it doesn't matter because for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. So, the next time you're tempted to sort of mumble or murmur, next time I am, whenever things are going hard, remember Paul and the circumstances Paul went, for, went through and that he continued to rejoice. Because rejoicing, an attitude of rejoicing, changes us and it changes the people around us. It might not change our circumstances. Because I want you to understand, we're not talking about some kind of Pollyanna experience here, whistling in the dark, pretending that it's all good, because it might not be good. But God is with us in the midst of whatever it is, no matter how bad. So next Paul said, be considerate in all you do. Be considerate in all you do. So then he says, remember, the Lord's coming soon. So what does that mean? Short short verse is live ready for Jesus' return. Live ready for Jesus' return. So we live nearly 2,000 years after Jesus returned to heaven. And when Jesus went back to heaven, he said, I'm coming back soon. Paul wrote nearly 2,000 years ago to the Philippian church, get ready because Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus is coming back soon. Not in our minds. Soon isn't 2,000 years, right? I mean, 2,000 years, it's not soon. But Jesus is son of the living God. For him, 1,000 years are as a day. So when he said, I'm coming back soon, he meant according to his timing, he's coming back soon. So Paul says, while we're waiting, we need to be considerate. In all that we do. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. Is what you're doing right now preparing you for Jesus' return? Is what you're doing right now preparing you for Jesus' return? I don't know if you think about this very often. I think about it all the time. Would I want to be doing what I'm doing right now when Jesus comes back? Would I want to to be doing what I'm doing right now when Jesus comes back? Well, obviously, we'd want to be doing what we're doing right now when Jesus comes back. I mean, we would probably get a gold star on our foreheads, right? We're in worship. We're worshiping Him. We're praising Him. But what about tomorrow morning? What about Wednesday night? Do you want to be doing what you usually do tomorrow morning and Wednesday night when Jesus comes back? Over the Christmas holidays, Nancy and Teresa, Yukina, Yumiko, and I watched Rocky, Rocky 2, II, Rocky 3, Rocky 4 and Rocky Five on consecutive nights, okay? Yeah, okay. Um, so here's the question. Would I have wanted Jesus to come back on one of those nights? And the answer is yes, I would. And here's why. Not because Rocky movies are anything spiritual. They're surely not. Um, but while we were watching those movies, it was interesting because we didn't say this is why we were watching the movie, but while we were watching the movie, we were comparing what was going on on the screen to the life that Jesus calls us to live. And, and, in fact, one night, Mika goes, oh, I wouldn't want to be like Apollo Creed in Las Vegas, you know. If you ever watch Rocky IV, he's up there dancing, looking, wearing a, you know American flag on his shorts. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, what she was saying is, Jesus doesn't want us to live that way. And I'm glad we don't live that way. But, you know, it's okay to watch somebody and so I can learn. Now, there are people who do not watch television who never watch movies because they want to be considerate in all they do. And praise God, that is a, that's a real, really good way to be considerate in what you do. But the key that Paul is telling the Philippians and us is Jesus coming back could be tonight. So be considerate in all that you do. So the third pa- command that Paul gives us is this. Don't worry about anything. Now, where in the world does Paul get a thing like that? Don't worry about anything. He gets it from Jesus. If you were here last summer, we went through the mountain monologues, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus told us something about not worrying about anything. In fact, we're going to read a, quite a um, long passage uh, for, for you know, our context here tonight, that these are Jesus' words about worry. What he says is this: That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows All your needs. That's such a comforting thought. And then he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. That's a really long way of saying, don't worry about anything. Paul summed it up. Don't worry about anything. If we seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, we don't need to worry because he has promised he will give us everything that we need. So when we come to God in prayer... And we need to come to him with it. we we need to come to him first of all with an attitude of rejoicing. We need to come to him with an attitude of I am living ready for you to return. And finally, uh, an attitude of saying I'm not going to worry because I know you are in charge of my life. Whenever uh, I say don't worry, I know what some of you are thinking. You don't know what I'm going through in my life. No, I don't know what you're going through in your life. But you know, the thing is, Jesus does. And it wasn't Paul or I who are saying, don't worry, it was Jesus. In the next couple months, Nancy and I are going to be traveling. That's my wife, for those of you who don't know. Nancy and I are going to be traveling to Texas for a conference. Then we're going to go to Mexico for a little bit of vacation. Then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to travel to India for a mission trip. I figured it out. It's going to be about 23,000 miles of travel. Now, can you imagine everything that could go wrong in all of that travel? And there are people who won't get on an airplane because it might crash. There are people who won't go to a foreign country because of something bad that could happen there. Now, here's the thing. Jesus said, don't worry about any of that. Because if you're putting me first, I have your back. That's what he basically says. If you're putting me first, I have your back. Does that mean that Nancy and I are guaranteed to be safe in Texas, which I realize is not a foreign country, um, Mexico... And then later on in India. Of course it doesn't. It means that whatever happens, Jesus is with us. And if I really believe what Paul wrote in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live as Christ and die is gain, then all I really have to ask myself is this question. Is what I'm about to do going to bring glory to Jesus? Is it going to help advance his kingdom? Is it going to be what he wants me to do? And that's the only question you have to ask yourself. So finally, Paul writes this. And we finally get to prayer. He says, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So when we come to God rejoicing, we come to God ready for Him to return, we come to God not worrying about anything, then what happens is we can then say, God is going to be with us and He is going to hear our prayers. What's What I said earlier is prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. When we are living the way that Paul just told us, then we don't have to worry because God is going to hear our prayers. He's going to respond to our prayers. But I do want to address something. Prayer can be a substitute for action. It really can be. Because I've had people come up to me and they they have said to me, will you pray for me? Now, I'll have to be honest because I'm preaching, right? Okay, so they'll say, will you pray for me? And, and I'll say, well, actually, they'll say, I have a problem. And, and I'll say, okay, what's the problem? And they'll tell me the problem. And i will say, I'll pray for you. Okay? Now, I stopped doing that a long time ago. You know why? Because I didn't. I, I was just trying to sound spiritual because I'm the pastor, right? So now if you come up to me in the line going out of church tonight and you say, you know, my uncle is having surgery. Would you pray for him on Tuesday? I'll say, let's pray right now. And that's exactly what I'll do. And I might try, I mean, I'll try to remember to pray on Tuesday, but I I might not remember to pray on Tuesday. So let us not ever say, sure, I'll pray for you, and use that as an excuse for doing nothing, right? Because sometimes that's what we do. Because we don't pray then, and we don't pray later, and then it becomes nothing, But what Paul is saying here is we need to have a focus in our lives in such a way that prayer really means something. When Jesus said, don't worry about anything, he was being very serious. And he means that we can turn to God any moment, any time of any day. And and the reality for all of us is this. As we go about our prayers, God wants to hear everything that we have going on in our life. Now you say, does that mean I should ask him what I'm going to have for breakfast tomorrow morning? If you're fasting, the answer to that question is yes. Okay, otherwise, maybe not so much. But here's the thing. It says this. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Tell God what you need and ask Him, or thank Him for all He has done. God wants us to tell Him what we need. In fact, in Philippians, it says um, that God is eager to supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory. So does that mean He wants us to be millionaires? I don't know. Is that what we need? Do I need to be a millionaire? Well, I don't know, but here's what I do know. If I'm going to be generous, I need money. If I'm going to feed my family, I need money. So I I do pray. I say, God, I need you to supply resources. I need you to supply money in my life so I can take care of my family, so I can be generous. And so I don't know. If you pray for God to supply your needs, you're going to probably pray for money. I would think so. I mean, in this culture... Sort of, you know, I just watched It's a Wonderful Life over the Christmas thing, you know, and George Bailey needed $8,000, right? They didn't have any money up in heaven. Remember Clarence? And he says, you got $8,000? And he goes, we don't use money up there. And he goes, comes in pretty handy down here, bub, right? (laughs) It does come in pretty handy down here. Sometimes we need it. So the point is that whatever it is that we need, we ask him, tell God what you need. And if you're trusting him, if you're putting him first in your life, he says he's going to do something about that. And then the thing that's interesting, it says, first we tell God what we need, and then we thank God for all he has done. We thank God for all he has done. Over the years, many of you have supplied our needs. I mean, Nancy's and me and my family, our needs. And sometimes when, I, when you didn't even know it, and what we have done since the beginning of the time we started serving in full-time ministry is we've written personal thank yous. We've we've written thank yous to people and said thank you so much for what you've done. And I seek to uh, to write thank yous to people anytime y'all do something that's, you know, meaningful, purposeful in advancing the kingdom of God, I I want to write a thank you to you because I want you to know first of all that I'm grateful. And here's the interesting thing about being grateful. I've found that saying thank you makes us more grateful ourselves and more generous. Over the years, I've become more and more thankful for all the things that I'm thankful for and grateful. And I've also become a more generous person. So if we tell God what we need and he provides it, then the next action, Paul says, is to say thank you. Because when we don't say thank you, what does that say to God? I mean... If we don't express our gratitude, that can in express ingratitude, right? So, Paul said, when we don't worry about anything but pray about everything, which means telling God what we want and need and thank Him for all He has done, we're going to experience this amazing result. Okay? We're up to this point where we're praying. We're not worrying. We're praying. We're giving thanks. And here's what happens. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Let me read that again. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. How simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple. People want peace. Everybody wants peace. I mean, if you go around and say, what we need in the world is we need peace. You know, we need to stop fighting. We need peace in our families, peace in our workplace, peace at school, peace in our nation, peace in the world. People want peace. And Paul tells us how we get it. How we get it is by coming to Him, rejoicing. We get it by living ready for Him to return. We get it by not worrying about the stuff that's going on around it, but trusting Him to provide it, telling God what we need, and then giving thanks when we receive it. Now, when I have done those things, when I've lived in that way, and I receive something, I pray for something, and then I receive it, and I give thanks to God, every single time I feel peace. Have you ever been in that situation? You had a desperate need and you prayed, you reached out to God and he supplied your need and you said thank you and what happens? You go, oh, it's like everything's good in the world. And I mean, it might not be good in the world 10 minutes later, but in that moment, you experience the peace of God. And the point is, that moment doesn't have to last for 10 minutes. That's how we're called to live our lives day by day by day by day. And the more we add 10 minutes to 10 minutes to 10 minutes of living this way, the more we will experience God's peace in our lives. And the more I and you, you know, that whole thing that I did last week, when each one of us experiences God's peace, eventually everyone experiences God's peace. And then what happens is there's a peaceful community, a peaceful county, a peaceful state, nation, world. That is God's plan that Jesus wants us. And it starts with each of us, each one of us. As we live our lives. So it starts, all of this starts when we transfer ownership of our lives from our selfish selves, our fallen selves, our sinful selves to Jesus. And let him be Lord of our lives. Because once he's first, once we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, he starts to take care of us. So if you've never said, ever said this in your life, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. I want you to be my Lord, my master. That's what Lord means am my savior? Come in and take over my life right now. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Why not do it tonight? My, my thinking has always been, if you find out that the best life available is available right now through Jesus Christ, why wouldn't you want it right now? Why would you want to wait for another second? Why would you want to wait for another minute? So let's think about that. And if you do want to ask Jesus for the very first time in your life to be Savior and Lord of your life or recommit your life to Him tonight. Maybe you've been sort of straying off the path. Maybe you haven't been coming to Him in prayer. Maybe you haven't been living ready. Maybe you haven't been, you know, peaceful because of all of those things we just talked about. Then would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. I want you to be Lord, my Master and my Savior. Come in and take over my life right now. I ask you this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So once we've done that, we're ready for tonight's next step. And here it is. For those of you who are new, the next step is the action point we're going to go out and do this week. And it says this, I will pray first every day this week. I will do pray first every day this week. So tomorrow morning, as soon as you wake up, turn to God. We already know what it says to do. Rejoice. so thank. I, I always do when I wake up. And I heard a guy say a long time ago, when I wake up and there's not a chalk line around me, I, I give thanks to God. You know? So I thank God every day that I wake up. When I wake up, I say, thank you, Jesus. So I praise God for that. And then the next thing he says what to do, tell him what you need. And after you tell him what you need, thank him for what he already gave you. And as we do that, I can tell you what, your life's going to be a more rejoicing life. A life that has more Uh, of a readiness for His return, a life that's going to be, uh, you know, worry-free. And as we do that, then we will understand the premise of tonight's message, that prayer is not a substitute for action. It's an action for which there's no substitute. Amen? Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much that once again we can come to You and once again You're there. There's never a time that we could wake up or come to a day down the road 10 years from now and, and start to pray and, and, and not know that you're there because you always are. And tonight, God, I do pray for those who just said for the very first time, Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner and I need you. And I pray for all of us, God, that as we realize and we know we're still sinners and we're redeemed sinners, but we need you. We need your spirit. God, fill us with your spirit that we can live boldly and powerfully in your name tonight in every moment of our lives.